You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, before we get started with today's game, just wanted to tell you that we are excited to take part in the second edition of the best trivia calendar in the history of the world. That's right, our friends Jonathan Oakes from Oakes Media Group and Katie Sikelski over at The Inkling have invited us, Triviality, to submit one week full of questions for the 2021 Everyday Q&A Trivia Calendar. If you would like to order this calendar, you can go to triviacalendar.net. And once you get it in the mail, you will see one week full of questions in our Triviality style. We hope that you figure out what those questions are and maybe try to figure out which hosts wrote them. But if you'd like to order that calendar, which we very much encourage, please go to triviacalendar.net. And thank you once again to Katie and Jonathan for including us this year. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Neil, and I'm joined here by my fellow Mouseketeers, Matt and Ken. How are you both? I'm doing good. Oh, good. I, I thought your name was Truman it, for a second It there. was, until I can find the boat and get to the, uh, the edge of the soundstage and leave. Uh, at least I'll be Truman until then. Uh, but uh, Jeff, I don't think, is here yet. He's on his way. He was at an ionized hydration factory trying to uh, make some of his own bottled water and not really sure how that's going to go down. But uh, we'll see if he's uh, quenched his thirst uh, by the time he gets here. Uh, uh, have you been watching that Zac Efron show, too? Does, uh, oh, yeah. Down to Earth. Well, I mean, I've always known Zac Efron to be down to Earth, but now I'm glad that there's a show to tell me <laughs> that he is. Oh, okay, because they go to a water treatment plant. It's a pretty good show. I like the uh, blatant visa advertisements. Does on he it. do the? It's like every time he, every time he buys something, there's like a close up of the card swiping. <laughs> it's truly really wild. Does he do like the splits and then hold up an American Express two and say never leave home without it? I don't think it goes that far, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty clear that this show is sponsored by Visa and Ruka Clothing because he only wears Ruka. Oh, that's really funny. Mm. Um, I think Matt will appreciate this, but speaking of Zac Efron and High School Musical, uh, there's a great meme going around with Corbin Blue, and in High School Musical 2, there's a whole scene where he's like really tough, and he's like, I don't dance, and then five minutes later, there's a huge dance number that he's the main person. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but uh, we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, he is a universal champion on Patreon. We appreciate his support. Uh, we were very excited to have him here to host a game that he wrote for us. And uh, coming to us from Kansas, that is James Campbell. How's it going, James? Well, thank you, Neil. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you've been up to? As far as up to, not a whole lot. I'm kind of in the same boat as everyone else. It's kind of mid-shutdown still. But 
Primarily, I am a, an attorney here in Kansas, and I do predominantly criminal defense. So I represent people in state court, and then also I do a lot of federal criminal defense work. Uh, well, I remember you were telling us that through the uh, the messenger and uh, just great work that you're doing. Um, and what's funny is you are joining a long line of Triviality listeners who are on our council now. So we're, we're pretty much like a Fortune 500 company uh, with just as many lawyers, but zero of the crime. Oh, and uh, it looks like Jeff is back from the ionized hydration center. Uh, Jeff, have you quenched your thirst? Uh, always. Good. That's what we want to hear. Uh, well, James is here. He wrote a game. Uh, it's going to be a full game. We're going to have teams of Matt and Jeff versus myself and Ken. Uh, but before we get to team names and get to the game, let's throw it to the rules guy and see if he can uh, read the rules in his best uh, lawyer end of the court day uh, final closing arguments voice. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. The cream rise to the top. Oh yeah! I notice. I notice that most of his readings sound identical. <laughs> For some reason, every lawyer in pop culture is from the deep south. Ken is what it sounds like. I would give that three finches. There you go. Uh, looks like it's going to be Matt and Jeff, as I said. Uh, any ideas on a team name over there? Yeah, I think we can name ourselves after my favorite lawyer, and we'll be the Saul Goodmen. The Saul Goodmen. I like it. Uh, and one of my favorite terms, I'm a huge Michael Connolly fan. He's my favorite author, and I love all the Lincoln Lawyer books, which helped me learn about law, since I'm definitely not a lawyer. But uh, one of my favorite terms in all of his books is voir dire. Uh, is that how you say it, James? I'm in Kansas. It is very often voir dire here, but voir dire is correct. <laughs> voir dire. All right. Well, we'll be voir dire, which is the uh, legal phrase uh, for uh, picking the jury, I believe. It means my dear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> my. It's the voir dire. That's what we'll hunter. be, Ken. We'll be my dear voir dire. All right. Uh, well, James, uh, feel free to uh, take take a hold of the ship and, and run with it. All right. As I think I told you guys before, one of the ways I got into hosting trivia is I do an annual competition between the University of Kansas and Washburn University Law Schools. And this is an adapted category from that for the first round. The questions will all be dealing with worst of the best. So your first 10 questions are going to be worst of the best. Question number one in movies. According to Rotten Tomatoes, Many Academy Award-winning Best Pictures weren't that good. Most of the worst-rated winners were early. But since 1955, what is the worst-rated winner at 58%? This 1986 movie had two major stars and beat out The Color of Purple, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Pritzi's Honor, and Witness, all of which scored higher on the website. Even though poorly reviewed, the movie wasn't a continental failure. It grossed $227.5 million. What is the name of this film? All right. Uh, Ken, I think I can lock in on this one just from my birth year. Okay. Yep. Uh, just as long as you caught the note that it beat uh, 
Spielberg's uh, The Color Purple. (laughs) It did. uh, Spielberg's Color Purple had 11 nominations and didn't win and only shares that feat with uh, The Turning Point with uh, Shirley MacLaine with 11 nominations and zero wins. All right. Um, Jeff, I said crash immediately and then you said a year and then I knew I was wrong. Um, (laughs) Crash is usually the answer when you talk about bad Academy Award winners. Um, I have no idea on this one. Do you? I do actually. Um, I don't know if you remember a while back, I wrote a final round that was um, all best picture winners that had beaten Steven Spielberg films. No, so it's very, very uh, convenient for this question. <laughs> it is very convenient. Uh, <laughs> so I remember the one for uh, the color purple that was beaten by Out of Africa. So I think okay. it's Out of Africa. Toto's Out of Africa. Got it. Yeah, I believe the two stars he was talking about are Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. And we also said Out of Africa. And points all around, it was out of Africa. That was not a continental failure. Wow. See, there's there's more clues that we didn't use, probably. On to question two. Presidential politics. Which president received the lowest percentage of the popular vote in the election he won? I think I know, Matt. All right, we'll, uh, we'll lock in. Um, yeah, so... I think the thing we're looking for here is an election that was split pretty heavily. And I want to say that um, when Teddy Roosevelt came back in the election, uh, that would have been, what, 1912, he split the ticket pretty heavily against Taft, allowing Woodrow Wilson to win. So I'm going to guess Woodrow Wilson. And I went with um, Truman due to the uh, Dewey defeats Truman headline. No points in this one. You had to go back a little further. It was actually John Quincy Adams who mm. only got 30.92% of the popular vote. Second was Abraham Lincoln at 3965 but you guys were on the right track with third-party candidates. Woodrow Wilson was next at 41, Bill Clinton at 43 when he won his first election because of... Ross Perot. Thank you, Ross Perot. Mm-hmm. Question number three is economics. The group of seven, or G7 as it is commonly called, is an international intergovernmental organization consisting of seven major countries, which are some of the largest economies in the world. What member of the G7 has the lowest gross domestic product, or GDP, which estimates the size of the economy and growth rate. Conversely, it is the largest in terms of area. We are locked in. Okay, Ken. All right, that's good because I want to discuss. So G7, I I honestly can't say I'm too positive about the numbers, but I said maybe Australia. That's a huge country. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at what, like Australia, Italy, Germany, uh, France, Britain, Great Britain. Um, so I, I don't even know if Russia is in that, but I would assume their GDP is larger than Australia. So I like Australia. That seems logical. Yeah, it seems like it might have a smaller GDP compared to the size. So that's all we're going off of. So let's lock in with that. All right. So they're locked in with Australia. And it's funny, Neil, because you named all of the members, um, but replaced the one that I think is the answer with Australia. I think Canada is part of the G7, and I'm pretty sure Canada is very large. So we locked in with Canada. 
points for Saul Goodman on that. Canada is, in fact, the correct answer. The problem with picking Australia is the United States is actually in the G7, and we are larger than Australia. So Uh they wouldn't have been the largest Mm. in terms of size. Question number four is sports. This this member of the NBA Basketball Hall of Fame was an all-time great and holds many records. However, he has one of the worst free throw percentages in history. He went to the line 11,862 times in his career and missed a staggering 5,805 times, a 51.1% average. This former Jayhawk may have done better if he had used something to artificially make him even taller than his seven foot one inch height. Uh, we can lock in. Okay, so Jayhawk, so that's University of Kansas. Shaq <laughs> to I sent Shaq to Neil. What do you think is Shaq? Uh, well, I know he was bad at free throws. Well, uh, it's definitely not Shaq because um, he was saying he was a Jayhawk, which is Kansas, and Shaq was LSU. Um, which are the uh, which are the Tigers? Hey, there you um, go. And I just think of Shaq in uh, Blue Chips, uh, the great Nick Nolte movie. Um, oh man, I don't know who's who would be bad at free throws. That was you. You take it, Neil. Um, seven foot one. Uh, I don't know. This is incorrect because he was a great shooter. But I just I can't think of anyone. Ken, I'm sorry. So we'll just say um, Dirk Nowitzki. It's wrong, but. Yeah, Dirk was a good free throw shooter. Uh, it, it's funny how these guys that are, are so big are so bad at free throws. And they say a lot of times it's because their hands are so big that they have a hard time palming and shooting or getting any touch on such a short shot like that. Um, but I'm pretty sure that this is Will Chamberlain. He's pretty notorious for being terrible at free throws. So he said Will Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain is the correct answer. He was Wilt the Stilt, hence the artificially make him taller than his seven foot one inch height. So 10 more points for Saul Goodman. Question number five is question number five is in business. For 2019, which company was ranked 500 on the Fortune 500? Ironically, they weren't 501. No idea. I, I have no idea. And, and the hint. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I like it. Locked in. Oh, wow. Okay, so do you have any idea, Ken? I do not know where the 500 reference or the 501 reference is. I, I don't... 501, I just don't... I, yeah, I have no idea what that means. Uh, I don't... Do you have a guess of just a random company? Because I can't even think of one off the top of my head. I don't know. Yeah, okay, we'll go Apple. Jeff, you answered it. Why don't you tell the people? Uh, yeah, famous for their 501 jeans. We're going to guess Levi. Oh, man. Levi Strauss is, in fact, the correct answer. And 10 more points for Saul Goodman and no points for my dear Wadir. Yeah, after five questions, it looks like it's 40 points for Saul Goodman and only 10 for my dear Wadir. Moving along to question number six, the category is pets. According to the American Kennel Club, this has been the most popular breed of dog in the United States every year since 1991. However, this breed has never won at the Westminster Dog Show, although it may have won in Canada. Name the breed. All right, so you're locked in over there, right, Matt, Jeff? Yep. Um, 
you have any idea, Ken? I mean, the Canada Clue. I, no, first, I was thinking of um, Golden Retriever, but uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with Canada. I know there's Newfoundland in uh, in Canada, the territory or, or area, mm. and that's a dog, right? I think. Yeah, the Newfie. The Newfie. Yeah. Do you want to go mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to say I have too much confidence on this dog breed question. So, <laughs> your specialty. Yeah, uh, let's find. Let's go with that then. The uh, the Newfoundland. Matt and I talked briefly about it, and uh, right next to Newfoundland is a place called Labrador. So we think this is the Labrador Retriever or Lab. The Labrador Retriever is correct, and Saul Goodman continue on their streak. Oh, man, this Can't is catch this a break is today, Neil. I know yeah. we're we're getting just killed here. It's smoked. Yeah. yeah. Now we have question number seven in music. Cleveland is home to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As of September 19, 2019, Cleveland.com ranked every number one song in the 2010s from worst to best. What song initially wiggled into the list as the worst? You would expect better from a duo related to Motown Records founder, Barry Gordy. All right, so they're locked in. I know that the guys from uh neil's favorite band lmfao right is that the name of the band i think Mm -hmm. they're they're nephews of barry gordy or something like that and then we were trying to figure out the name of the song i said party rock you thought that sounds like an anthem so i think that we're pretty sure it's yeah it's party rock anthem yeah i I, what i call it is the bar the song that was playing in every single bar that i walked into in 2010 for like four months no matter which bar no matter what time um so yeah, party rock anthem, locked in. All right, I'm not good enough with pop music to know if this is the same song or not, but uh, the one where they go wiggle, 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 because he said it wiggled into the top spot, is uh, sexy and I know it. Or I'm sexy and I know it. LMFAO, sexy and I know it. It wasn't party rock anthem, although it also made the list. Is there really a wrong LMFAO song, though, if you think about it? <laughs> They're all so good. <laughs> Moving on to technology for question number eight. Google is the top search engine in the world with over 73% of all searches. What friendly search engine is second? So we're looking for a friendly search engine, Ken. Uh, oh, we can lock oh, in. they're locked in. Okay. So, Ken, what search engine do you find friendly? Uh, the one named after one of the friends from Friends, and that would be Bing. Oh, oh, that's right. I was going to say the search engine from No Country for Old Men, friendo.com, but <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Could it be any more search engine? I don't know. Uh, we said Bing. Bing at 7%. Yahoo comes in at 34 and then DuckDuckGo at 1.5% and climbing. For our ninth question, we're going to fast food. Started in Kansas in 1916 and generally credited as the country's first fast food chain, what company finished 50th in the quick service restaurants 50 for 2019? It was a very popular destination in 2004. Locked in. Oh, geez. It was a 2004. It was a quick service. Um, I don't know, Ken. Um, does the 2004... Did you catch catch any hint, hints in there? Uh, what did it, what do you say that sounded weird that jumped out to you? I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking as soon as you started talking about fast food, I was thinking of 
other fast food and then my my brain got clouded uh why what do, what do you have all right so i think the popular destination in 2004 is a hint um i think carl's jr was widely considered oh wait a minute oh uh 2004 harold and kumar maybe no. oh yes yeah it's got to be white castle then right all right yeah white castle come on that's upset yeah I I, don't, I always remember that the that weird fact that White Castle is like one of the first or credited as the first fast food place. But yeah, it's very popular um, from that movie. A lot of people didn't even think that White Castle was a real fast food place. Some people thought they made it up for the movie, but uh, we said White Castle. White Castle is that popular destination from Harold and Kumar. And to finish up round one, question 10 is in colleges and universities. Although it is called the Big Ten, the conference actually has 14 schools. Ohio State is the largest with a total enrollment of over 60,000. Name two of the three smallest in the conference in terms of enrollment. Uh, all right. So being as the, the only person here who went to a Big Ten school, um, I'll just lock in uh, Ken just for us. Okay, so we kind of were shooting a couple around. We think Rutgers is one of them. Um, it's in New York, I think, but I think it's kind of a smaller school. Um, we said Maryland, Nebraska we talked about. Um, and then we kind of came to Northwestern, which is a pretty selective school, and I don't think they have that many people on campus. Um, Evanston's not that big of a place. So I think we are going to lock in with Northwestern and Rutgers. Okay. So I was on the same train of thought as Matt. Um, I know Iowa is pretty small. It's not like small, small, but like maybe 20 to 25,000. So um, we put Iowa for sure. And um, it was between, I think Nebraska is also pretty small. It might even be smaller than Iowa possibly. Um, but for our official answers, we went Northwestern, which I, I don't even think breaks 10,000, and then Iowa. Northwestern is the smallest at 22. Nebraska is next at 25. And Iowa is the third at 31. The next closest is Maryland with 41,000. Wow. I was not expecting that. No, not at all. Should have stuck with Nebraska. Dang. That's okay. I, I thought job, Nebraska Neil. was a bigger because it was a state school. Maybe I just think Rutgers are small because their programs suck for sports. <laughs> yeah. After the first round, it looks like uh, my dear Voidir uh, only picked up 50 points, unfortunately. And in the lead is Saul Goodman with 70 points. All right. So that's going to lead us into the swing round. And it looks like uh, we got a bit of an audio upgrade over there on your end. Uh, moved around the house and now we're in a much cleaner area, it seems like, James. Hopefully so. <laughs> Sounds a lot better. What do you have for us today for the swing round? All right. The swing round today is called the Stableford Wives. In golf, there's a modified Stableford scoring method where instead of counting strokes, you get points for good scores and lose points for bad scores. The system rewards taking risks, but there are penalties if the risk doesn't pay off. For this swing round, we have adapted that method for trivia. You will be given a series of 10 questions about TV wives. There will be one question about a sitcom and one question about a drama for each decade from the 70s to the 2010s. For each question, you can choose to pass. 
If you do, you receive one point. If you get the name of the show correct, you earn three points. And if you get the full name of the character correct, you earn five points. To get the full five points, you have to have the full name of the character. However, if you guess incorrectly about the name of the show, you lose one point. If you miss the name of the character or you don't get the full name correct, you lose two points. Thus, there is much to gain, but are you willing to risk losing points? Again, no guess plus one. Name of show correct plus three, miss minus one. Full name of character correct plus five, miss minus two. Let's Here go. are your questions. I will identify the decade. The sitcom will always come first. For the 70s, this wife of Howard in a sitcom on ABC from 74 to 84 was also the mother of Richie and Joni. The drama. A wife and mother on a show set during the Great Depression in rural Virginia that ran on CBS from 1972 to 1981. She raised seven children and had an eight that died in childbirth. The family lived on an ancestral mountain. For the 80s, a spinoff from a skit on a popular variety show and set in Raytown, a suburb of Kansas City, Missouri, this family show ran from 1983 to 1984 on CBS and in syndication from 1986 to 1990. The star of the show was also a one-hit wonder with her song, The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Drama. She was the matriarch of a wealthy oil family on this popular 80s drama, was the wife of John Ross, also known as Jock, and the mother of three sons who were often fighting amongst themselves. The show aired from 78 to 91 on CBS. The actor who played this character was also in the original Broadway cast of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in 1955 and appeared in the movie Vertigo in 1958. The 90s. Part of ABC's Friday Night lineup from September of 1989 until July of 1998, although it did change to CBS for its final year. This show was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers and featured this wife of Carl, played by Joe Marie Payton, until the final eight episodes when Julianne Elder took over the role. Drama. Bess Armstrong plays this wife and mother to a teenage daughter in this critically acclaimed but short-lived series. The show only ran from August of 1994 until January of 1995, but won the lead actor a Golden Globe Award for 1985 for Best Performance by an Actress in a Drama Series. 2000s. The controlling and overbearing wife of Hal on this critically acclaimed Fox sitcom was the mother of four sons. The show ran from 2000 to 2006, and won a Peabody Award, seven Emmys, one Grammy, and seven Golden Globe nominations, among other honors. The drama? Widowed and trying to provide for her two teenage children, this mother turned to crime on a Showtime series that ran from 2005 to 2012. During the run of the show, the actor playing this role 
won the Satellite Award in 2005 and the Golden Globe in 2006. 2010s. Running from 2017 to the present on Amazon Prime, the actor who played John Cryer's ex-wife on Two and a Half Men now plays the wife of Abe and the mother of two grown children, Miriam and Noah. Drama. It was a rough life for this wife of Stannis. Her husband was cheating on her with a red princess. She lost three children at birth, and then the only surviving daughter was killed during the run of this HBO show from 2012 to 2019. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All the answers for the swing round are locked in. Uh, we're going to throw it right back to James. And right before we do that, just make sure to join us over at The Crop on Facebook or at Twitter and Instagram at TrivialityPod to interact with other listeners and stay up to date on all Triviality news. Okay, James, let's uh, let's hear these questions again. We'll give our answers. So starting with the 70s sitcom, Wife of Howard, ABC sitcom, was the mother of Richie and Joni. What did you have, Saul Goodman? Well, we knew that was Mrs. C, also known as Marion Cunningham. From and Happy for, Days. For my dear voir dire. Uh Yeah, we just, uh, I'm just going to say it now. Uh, we played it safe because we were a little worried about some of these character names. And for the most part, we went only with the show titles. So uh, for this one, we centered in on Happy Days. Three points for my dear voir dire. And Saul Goodman did have the correct answer. Marion Cunningham was played by Marion Ross. The drama. This was a Great Depression era show that was on CBS from 72 to 82, where the family lived on an ancestral mountain. My dear Wadir. Uh, this one I knew only based on the Great Depression um, family show. Uh, and I believe it's the Waltons. That's all we had. Yeah, we weren't as sure. Uh, I thought this might have been a show about a tiny Hugh Laurie. And we said Little House on the Prairie. Little House on the Prairie, I'm afraid, is incorrect. It was the Waltons. So Saul Goodman lose one, and my dear Wadir picks up another three. Moving on to the 80s sitcom, 
This was a spinoff from a skit on a popular variety show from 83 to 84 on CBS and then in syndication. What did you have, Saul Goodman? Oh, I don't even think we answered this one. I guess we're giving this the big old pass. All right. You get a point (laughs) for that. Uh, over here and points for nothing. I, like I know, it. right? Um, <laughs> Ken and I had a discussion. I think this is the actress Vicki Lawrence, uh, funny comedic actress from Carol Burnett. Uh, I don't know the name of the show. I think I might may have said it between Ken, but I just know that that's who it is. But I have no idea on anything else. So we're actually just going to tap because we couldn't come up with a good enough answer to wager points on. So you also get one. It was Vicki Lawrence. She played Thelma Harper on Mama's Family. And that was a spinoff of the Carol Burnett show. The matriarch of a wealthy oil family in the 80s, the wife of Jock. What did you have, my dear Wadir? We went back and forth between Dallas and Dynasty. And um, I think it came down to oil. Um, and we sort of felt that that was more Dallas. So that's what we went with. We didn't even think of Dynasty. I just remember being on Dallas and uh, we said Dallas. That's all we got. That is three points for each team. That was Miss Ellie Ewing, played by Barbara Bel Geddes. Moving on to the 90s, part of ABC's Friday Night lineup. It was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers, The Wife of Carl. And what did you have, Saul Goodman? Uh, This is one I actually knew. Uh, I believe that would be uh, Harriet Winslow from Family Matters. We knew it was Family Matters, and we knew it was a Winslow. We just couldn't remember which Winslow, uh, but we didn't want to wager that. So we just said Family Matters. Family Matters and Harriet Winslow are both correct. Three for my dear Voidir and five for Saul Goodman. I have to get that one right. Any TGIF question, that's that's kind of my thing. So Yeah, you'd lose your membership card. (laughs) The drama in the 90s. Bess Armstrong was this mother on a very critically acclaimed show. What did you have, my dear Voidir? We had no idea on this one. Uh, The only dramas we could think of were uh, My So-Called Life and some other ones that sounded familiar, but we just did not, uh, as I said, we did not have the guts to go for the points if we got it or not. So we we tapped on this one. Mm, we We had the guts and we were, the only thing that sounded familiar from that time period that lasted just the one year was my so-called life so we said my so-called life risk worth taking you get three points for that plus one for my dear wadir on the path into the 2000s controlling and overbearing wife of hal she had four sons what did you have saul goodman so this is malcolm in the middle and jeff what was the, the mom's name you had the first name right well, that's the thing. Her name was Lois, and I can't for the life of me remember them having a last name. I just, nothing's My coming God, to guys, me. guys, me too. We, we've so, been going crazy about this. Yeah, so, so we just locked in with Malcolm. We just went with, yeah. Uh, and we, yeah, we just went Malcolm in the middle. We, we couldn't figure out if there was a last name or not, so that's what we went with. And it's always that risk that is to get that extra two points. The last name was Wilkerson, Lois oh. Wilkerson. That doesn't even sound familiar. And I watched every episode of that show. I don't know how that happens. Drama from the 2000s. Widow and trying to provide for two teenage children. This mother turned to crime on Showtime. What did you have, my dear Wadir? Ken zeroed in on this one right away. We went with weeds. Yeah, I 
I had recently just rewatched this and I literally can't remember the name of the character, but um, we're pretty sure it's Weeds. Weeds is the correct show. That was Mary Louise Parker who played Nancy Botwin. Mm. Yep. So on to more recent history, the 2010s, running from 2017 to the present on Amazon Prime. The actress who formerly played John Cryer's ex-wife on Two and a Half Men is now the wife of Abe and two grown children on what show? Or did you have the name of the character? What did you have, Saul Goodman? Well, not 100% sure. Just going with the show that Neil tells me that I have to check out all the time and I still haven't. But we said Bosch. I do say. Does Neil tell you the show is marvelous? <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, no, he you, didn't. you do need to watch Bosch. Uh, that is for sure, especially living in LA now. But uh, yeah, Colleen watches the show all the time. Uh, we've seen it a bunch. And uh, uh, I believe the character is Rose uh, Weissman. Um, and she's played by Marin Hinkle. And that would be the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. All right. So the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is correct. And Rose Weissman is also correct. So for five points for my dear Voidir and negative one for Saul Goodman. And finally, it was a rough life for the wife of Stannis. Her husband was cheating. Tough luck with her kids. HBO series 2012 to 2019. What did you have, my dear Wadir? We went with the the Game of Thrones. I feel like having issues with her children is an understatement since her daughter was burned at the stake. Um, but we said this was Selyse Baratheon of Game of Thrones. Solis Baratheon is in fact right, so both teams are correct. One team gets five, one team gets three. After the swing round, it looks like uh, we picked up a decent amount of points on both sides, bringing our scores to 78 for my dear Voidir and 96 for Saul Goodman. So we are ready for round two, James. All right. For the first question in round two, start me up. This is a music question. What song was released in November of 1973 and still always begins on Saturday evening at 9 p.m.? Yeah, so Neil and I had a brief discussion here. Um, I think that uh, Saturday at 9 9, uh, p.m. is the start of the lyrics to the song in question. Um, Neil said, Saturday night's all right for fighting. I said, I just watched Rocket Man, so let's go for it. Well, the show started in 1973, and it is on Saturday nights at 9 p.m. It's Saturday Night Live. But I didn't know if this show had a this theme song had a name, so we just said Saturday Night Live theme song. Neither of you are getting points on this one. It is Piano Man by Billy Joel. It's 9 oh. o'clock on a Saturday. The regular mm. crowd shuffles in. Matt's usually drunk when that song comes on in the bar, so... We picked the wrong piano, man. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we did. You're right. (laughs) Question number two, paint it black. It's an art question. This famous painting commissioned around 1639 is 11.91 feet by 14.34 feet and is known for its dramatic use of light and shadow. It has a rather dark history having been attacked in 1911 by a jobless shoemaker protesting his inability to find work in 1975 by an unemployed school teacher with a bread knife who claimed he did it for the Lord. And in 1990 by an escaped psychiatric patient who sprayed acid onto the painting with a concealed bottle. 
Perhaps the Dutch boy should keep an eye on this work. What is the name of the painting? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Locked in. You're locked, locked in. in. Okay. Uh, so, Ken, this is what I'm thinking. I, I know, I, I have a few ideas of what it could be, um, but there was a, was it a TV show I was watching or a movie? It was very strange, but it, it centered around, um, ironically, Hieronymus Bosch, who the character of Bosch is named after in the books and the series. Um, he had a painting called The Garden of Earthly Delight. It's like a lot of really creepy stuff. Um, and I don't remember what movie I was watching, but uh, that's the only one I can think of that's like super big. Bosch. Bosch, yeah. Kinda, it's kinda, it looks like a David Lynch type painting for some reason. It's really weird. You think the painting is The Garden of Earthly Delight? I think that's what it's called. Okay. Um, so when you're thinking paintings in dutch we i'm thinking rembrandt and i couldn't think of any rembrandt painting so i asked jeff do you know any and he said the night watch and i said that sounds good uh, so we locked in with the night watch i've listened to so many episodes of this show and it's amazing to think that we have a painting from 1639 and neil is trying to get to it through a movie that is just astonishing <laughs> however Saul Goodman were the ones with the correct answer. It is the night watch. That was right. Dutch boy should keep an eye on it. So they should watch it. Mm. So Saul I was Goodman trying to think of Rembrandt points. too. He's well known for his very dark paintings and uh, just couldn't quite remember who, who that was that I was thinking of. So seems like he's mostly known for being the Dutch painter. Cause I can't think of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else. <laughs> You pretty much have a 50, 50 shot. It's going to be Rembrandt or Vermeer. Those are yeah. the two. There you go. <laughs> Question number three. She's a rainbow. Pop culture. What misfit and LGBTQ icon was the first centerfold model for Playboy magazine in 1953? We're locked in over here. You do know your centerfolds. Um, so you said Monroe. That's just you... game theory since Neil locked in so fast and I know Neil's mom loves Marilyn. Well, by all those accounts, that seems like a good answer then. Then we're going to say Marilyn Monroe. We went a little different direction. We went Norma Jean Mortensen, but then I think just for the sake of the game, we'll say Marilyn Monroe too. Anyway, both teams get credit for that one. It is Marilyn Monroe. Going on, our next question is number four, Street Fighting Man, literature. What 1961 war novel begins with the line, it was love at first sight? You are required to take a guess at this answer unless you're crazy. But you'd have to be crazy to just guess if you don't know the answer. But if you say it's crazy to just guess and you don't, then you aren't crazy, and therefore you have to guess. Okay. Locked in. Wow. Yeah, I think I think I get it. I think I get the hint. How many so, uh, hints were there? A certain number. Was, oh, I see what you mean. Uh, it's right. a catch-22 if, you, if you're crazy, if you guess, but you don't guess. It's catch-22. Right, Neil? Yeah, I, it uh, recalled some Kesby Knight, so let's go with Catch-22. Yep, All right. we agreed it's Catch-22. Catch-22 is, in fact, your answer. So each team gets 10 on that one as well. Moving on to question number five. You can't always get what you want. Your category is movies. A MacGuffin is an object or device in a movie or book that serves merely as a trigger for the plot. One of the most famous MacGuffins in movie history, what title item is described in the final line of this 1941 film as, quote, 
the stuff dreams are made of. End of quotation. LOL. Neil and I will lock him. It was funny when you said MacGuffin, I immediately texted Jeff Maltese Falcon. And I was like, all right, maybe it's the answer. It's the answer. And then, yeah, 1941, uh, thinking that's the Maltese Falcon. I think inside the uh, briefcase in Pulp Fiction is actually the Maltese Falcon. So we also said uh, Maltese Falcon. I've actually heard that theory as well, that the Maltese Falcon is what is inside the briefcase. And you are both correct. You get 10 points each for the Maltese Falcon. Oh, well, thank you, James. It looks like uh, we can do a score recap. So it looks like picking up 40 points uh, right there is going to be Team Saul Goodman bringing their total to uh, 136, I believe. And uh, Team, uh, I forgot her name there for a second, My Dear Voir dire picks up 30 points, uh, bringing our total to 108. So moving on to the last half of the second round, living in a ghost town, geography, Pripyat, spelled P-R-I-P-Y-A-T, was a city of almost 50,000 people in 1986. The official population as of today is zero. What caused the abandonment of this once prosperous community? Okay, so you're locked in. Um, The timeline kind of lines up with this uh, right around the uh, Chernobyl incident, right? Does that make sense, Jeff? Yep, I agree with that. So radioactive dogs is the answer we're going with. No, we'll say Chernobyl, the Chernobyl meltdown. And we also said Chernobyl. Points all around. It is Chernobyl was the disaster. Pripyat was the community right beside where the nuclear plant was. Jeff, I remember uh, you told me I was looking for some sort of light viewing uh, on TV to sort of uh, bring my mood up uh, in the summer here. And I remember you recommended Chernobyl. So... Um, not exactly what I was looking for, but I appreciate it. My reputation as Debbie Downer proceeds. <laughs> Moving on to question number seven. The category is famous women and the song is satisfaction. Helen Keller was born in 1880 and at 19 months old contracted an illness, which left her deaf and blind. Her life was the basis of the play and movie, the miracle worker in which it showed how she learned to speak. In 1920, she also helped found what major advocacy organization protecting free speech that is still active today. You know this one, Jeff? We're going to lock in over here. I'm not sure if I got a clue on this one. But we said, does ACLU sound good for you? I mean, yeah, American Civil Liberties Union, they're, they tend to be the ones... Uh, involved with free speech i'm pretty sure they're the ones on futurama that step up to protect Zeidberg after he eats the flag so <laughs> well if that's not right then i don't want to be right so we're gonna we're gonna lock in with aclu i would have eaten a flag had i not used my organs to hoist a flag made of my own skin uh we also said aclu aclu is correct 10 points for each side And perhaps I shouldn't have said anything about Neil getting points off movies if you guys are going to use Futurama to get (laughs) Helen Keller ACLU reference. (laughs) But that is correct. She is so cold. Question number eight is historical geography. The lyrics to the James Bond Goldfinger theme song refer to the man with the Midas touch and continue with the labored rhyme 
such a cold finger. Midas is believed to be an historical king who lived sometime in the second millennium BCE. A second king by the same name lived in the 8th century BCE and is referred to in Assyrian texts. A third king Midas was referred to by Herodotus. They all ruled the same ancient country. What is that country called? I'm going to apologize, Ken, because as soon as he said Goldfinger, and anytime I see the poster or hear the name Goldfinger, all I hear is Shirley Bassey going, Goldfinger! And then I think don't think of anything else. So I'm going to leave this one to you. All right, we can lock in then, I guess. Um, so which which region are you thinking this is in, Jeff? Um, I'm pretty sure it's maybe like Greek. Mm-hmm. Like in in the like Peloponnesian area, yeah, I was thinking that or maybe Persian. Um, but you you texted me Macedonia. Why do you think which is that? just north of there? So okay. I don't know, and maybe it's just alliteration. I'm not sure. Oh, Midas from Macedonia. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're being honest. Have you so met I'm my just... cousin Midas from Macedonia? <laughs> 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 He's really got the touch. Mm-hmm. What a mensch. Um, yeah, I like I like Macedonia. Let's do that. We're locked in. Locking in with Macedonia and my dear Wadir. Yeah, pretty much just uh, tossing this out there, but uh, we're just going to say Babylon. Babylon. If you would go between you, you would get closer. It's in modern-day Turkey, but the country was called Phrygia. Oh. The f- the first King Midas's father was Gordius, who was the person who had the Gordian knot that Alexander cut when he was going to take Asia. But Phrygia is the correct answer. And I tried to kind of steer you that way with she's so cold and such mm-hmm. a cold mm-hmm. finger. Because that was actually a, go to the Phrygia now and uh, go get a quick <laughs> snack if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Your category for question number nine is architecture. Gimme shelter. Located near Asheville, North Carolina, the largest privately owned home in the U.S. was built by one of America's richest families at the time and is still owned by their descendants, although not Anderson Cooper. In hindsight, I guess they could have constructed less of a structure. What is the name of this house? We're good, Matt. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Do you, I think I have an idea, Ken, but you let me know what you think first, and I'll tell you what I think. I picked up on a hint that he said le- they could have constructed less of a house. Just brings my mind to the like name Morehouse. I don't know if that's anything. And then I think there was something about the, who was it, the, the Winchester heirs or the maybe Smith and Wesson heirs. They built some kind of crazy house and that's all I got. So, okay. So what do you think? Neil? You, what you said is definitely, um, jiving with what I said and, uh, James will make fun of me, but many, many films have been filmed either at this place. If I remember, if I'm thinking the right place at this place or around this place. And I, and now that you said more, I believe it's the built more house, which would make sense with the joke. So, I'm pretty sure it's the Biltmore house. It, it's funny that Neil would come to it from film. Yeah, Anderson Cooper is a Vanderbilt, uh, in case anybody was curious. Um, but yeah, we happen to know that this is the Biltmore estate. So we said Biltmore. Biltmore is correct. 10 points for each team. 
and it's Vanderbilt. So that's where the built comes from and more. So those were both correct. You picked up on everything there. The final question in the second round, waiting on a friend category is in animals. Pride is a deadly sin. However, this animal must certainly take pride in the fact it can hold its breath for up to 40 minutes. Living in the tropical rainforest of South and Central America and normally living in trees, it can move up to three times as fast in the water as on land. What is this animal? God, this super animal will kill us all. <laughs> Man, that took that took so many turns. Seriously, what the hell? So, uh, Ken, you tell me what you think. So if you genetically modified a jaguar <laughs> and crossbred it with a crocodile. A jaguacodile? A jaguacodile, yeah, that's right. Uh, with the, the, the strongest bite radius of any animal? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was the Aztec equivalent of a giffen. Yeah, there you go. Was the giffen, I think a giffen was also the third member of DreamWorks SKG. Um, uh, that's a weird, weird Hollywood joke. Uh, but um, what about like an anaconda? I don't want none unless you got some, Ken. Yeah, where's the pride hint come in with the anaconda? Um, oh, okay. This could be really wrong, but could could it be as easy as pr- or, uh, pride as a? Um, What's it called? Uh, Seven Deadly Sin. So it could be sloth. Oh, sloths can hold their breath for 40 minutes. My friend Sting the sloth can. Why would they be faster in the water, though? They can't be any slower. Well, I'm thinking if they're they're slow on land. (laughs) When you really put them to the test and you put them in water, they're like, let me get out of here. (laughs) Well, it's either this or death. Well, they're they're so slow on land that maybe when they're in water, like um, the the water pressure, whatever, like when people go to work out in water because it makes their limbs lighter so they can move faster i don't i have no idea i'm not a scientist you mean buoyancy all right i, I just like this line of thinking it's a little insane so let's say sloth yeah, you're going with sloth um yeah we didn't know we know that sometimes snakes spend some time in trees so we went with the uh, eric stoltz classic anaconda anaconda for saw goodman and sloth for my dear voidir one team points here it is my dear Wadir. it is the sloth man i ran across the other day that sloths can hold their breath for 40 minutes and started doing some other stuff i didn't really intend to trip you up with pride it was the deadly sin that was the clue there so good work by my dear Wadir, and you pick up 10 on that last question of regulation uh looks like getting that is Go ahead, Jafe. Or Jafe. Go ahead, Jafe. <laughs> What's up, Jay? Oh, I, I, I figured we were at the end and we were going to get a score recap going into the final. What? And I was going to say, just getting that, though, you guys. Good work. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> uh, that was worth it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I threw my headset down. I'm like, what the <laughs> <laughs> the, the the Hollywood music goes dun, 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 the big line for the hero. It was it was good job guys. Good work. <laughs> Close oh up on the God. rock. He just killed someone. Good work. Good work guys. Okay, sorry. The reaction shot. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Jake. Good job guys. <laughs>
All right. Uh, so that score recap, uh, as James uh, mentioned, uh, 148 for my my dear Voidir. Uh, so we're kind of catching up here to uh, team Saul Goodman with 166. So those are our points going into the final round. And right before we go there, very, very special thank you to James for being a universal champion on Patreon. It means a ton to all of us, especially during this difficult time. Uh, so we appreciate James for that. And also, if you'd like to join him uh, in getting extra perks like 30 hours of audio, character boxes, uh, posters, stickers, things like that, you can go to patreon.com slash triviality podcasts. Uh, and today we thank you very much, James, for your support. Well, thank you guys for everything you do. I know how much work you guys put into each and every episode and watching it here in person is makes it even more impressive. And thank you guys for everything. We, we in the listening public appreciate it a lot. As DJ Khaled would say, you're smart, you're loyal. I appreciate you. Now let's get those uh, final round categories. All right. For your final round, your five categories are as follows. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All the wagers are locked in. And just for the audience at home, uh, just to keep it simple, Team My Dear Voidir going 15s all the way down. And uh, Team uh, Saul Goodman calling their shot. They're going 30 all the way down. So we're going to see what happens after this final round. And it's going to be the uh, decision maker here. So, uh, James, feel free to give us those questions. Category one is Genesis. The word Genesis derives from the phrase, the generation of heaven and earth. The King James Version of the Bible starts, in the beginning. Baseball enthusiasts believe this shows that their sport is more blessed because the Bible starts in the big inning. In Major League Baseball, the big inning would be this inning, where statistically more runs are scored than in any other. There is some conventional wisdom to the answer, but at worst, you have a one in nine shot. Exodus. The book of Exodus describes the relocation of the Israelites from Egypt, ultimately arriving in the promised land. Between 1830 and 1850, the U.S. government forcibly relocated more than 60,000 Native Americans from their ancestral homelands in the southeast U.S. to areas west of the Mississippi. Many thousands died during this removal, leading to the incident being called the Trail of Tears. Many different tribes were affected. Name two of the six tribes that had the greatest loss of life during the relocations. Leviticus. The instructions of Leviticus emphasize ritual, legal, and moral practices rather than beliefs. These laws have governed the Jewish people for thousands of years. Thought to be the oldest set of laws in England still in use, they were passed by Parliament in 1267 under the rule of Henry III, and these laws comprise 29 chapters, four of which are still in force as of 2020. This was well before the exploration of the New World, so likely didn't contain any provision about tobacco use. What is this set of laws called? Numbers. One of the most famous numbers is pi, the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. What Greek mathematician is credited with creating an algorithm approximating the ratio around 250 BCE? 
And finally, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Torah, but the name actually comes from the Greek title for the book. What does Deuteronomy mean? Okay, we'll go over these questions and be back with our answers. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the chart-topping Family Road Trip Trivia podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. After some deliberation, all the answers are now locked in. So we'll throw it back to James to go over these questions and give our answers to see who will be today's cream of the crop. The first question was Genesis, and we talked about the big inning. What is the big inning in Major League Baseball where more runs are scored than any other? Saul Goodman, what did you come up with? Um, so not 100% sure. Um, my thinking behind this was uh, this would be an inning when you generally have your heart of your lineup or your, your bigger hitters, and then you've already gone through the lineup once, so you've already seen the pitcher. So we thought that this might be the fourth inning. So we said the fourth inning. Good reasoning. Uh, we just kind of figured when everybody's fresh, it's the first inning, they come out swinging. So first inning. My dear Wadir is correct. It is generally uh, thought to be so because each team is assured that one time of having their best hitters come to the plate. It is the first inning. The second question was Exodus. And this was the Trail of Tears, where more than 60,000 Native Americans were removed from their ancestral homelands west of the Mississippi. What were two of the six tribes that had the greatest loss of life? My dear Wadir, what did you guys come up with? We said the Sioux and the Cherokee. Yeah, for this one, um, we thought, you know, coming from Florida, it might have been Seminoles. And then we also said the Cherokee. So Seminoles and Cherokee. Cherokee is correct, as is Seminole. The Sioux actually were located in the northern Great Plains. The other ones affected were the Creek, the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, and the Ponca were the other tribes that were greatest affected by that. 
It looks like both teams are even, so let's get yes. the third one. Leviticus, the oldest laws in England, passed by Parliament in 1267, four chapters of which are still good in 2020. This was before the exploration of the New World, so likely didn't contain any provisions about tobacco use. Saul Goodman, what did you come up with for that? This is something I learned in one of my very many law classes I took for paralegal school years and years ago, but stuck with me because it's a funny name. And my dad used to collect miles from this brand. I believe it's the statute of Marlboro. Uh, well, uh, we picked up on the smoking hint as well, but we didn't have that much, uh, foreknowledge. So we just said the pipe laws. Saul Goodman. That is an incredibly good answer. It is the statute of Marlboro. That was, it was an impressive answer. It's funny. When I was a kid, all of our luggage was Marlboro brand because my dad used to rip the miles off the packs or whatever. And I went to like a fifth grade sleepover thing and they're like, why do you have a Marlboro bag? It's like, that's all we had. My dad loved smoking. And then he and then he put his cowboy hat on and took out a cigarette and said, because I'm Marlboro man. <laughs> all right. Moving on to numbers. Pi is one of the most famous numbers. It's the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter. What Greek mathematician is credited with creating an algorithm approximating that ratio around 250 BC? Pretty sure, in addition to coming up with a principle for buoyancy, uh, he was responsible for figuring out the algorithm for pi. So we said Archimedes. And what did my dear Wadir come up with? And when you put me to a question about a really, really, really old mathematician, either say Pythagoras or Euclid, this time we said Euclid. Euclid did form a lot of geometry, but this particular algorithm was created by Archimedes. So Saul Goodman is correct. Did he win and the Fields the, Medal, though, is the, is the real question. <laughs> Obviously. The, the Fields Medal. <laughs> <laughs> The final question is Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Torah, but the word comes from the Greek title for the book. What does Deuteronomy mean? No idea on this one, so we just said astronomy. And Saul Goodman. Yeah, I don't know if Deuteronomy was the fifth book. I thought this might have been the fifth sequel, and we said Deuteronomy, where's my car? <laughs> Neither of those two are correct. We'll both what? be taking away some points for that. Dutro is second or retelling, and it is the second law, copy of the law, or retelling of the law. So Deuteronomy is basically the second law or copy of the law. So no points on that one. I like how I made fun of Neil for uh, saying that it might have something to do with two because of French, and then sure enough, it does. <laughs> That's usually what happens. But uh, I have only one thing to say to you, Jeff, because of your performance today. Good work. Okay. Uh, so, so uh, after regulation and the final round, it looks like a uh, team, my dear Wadir, did not uh, have the strength to pull it out. We ended with 103, but with 196 points. Today's cream of the crop, Saul Goodman. The cream of the crop! I'd like to thank Jeff for sometimes texting me back. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, you're, you're most welcome. <laughs> thank you for that game james we appreciate it it was uh incredibly well written a lot of great details and i was telling ken as we were deliberating on one of the questions that uh you truly are a good lawyer because there were so many details that we just had to look for and make sure that we're in there and and uh that's all it took for us to get some right answers at certain times I, there were a couple of those you guys pulled that were very impressive i i'm 
extraordinarily impressed with the scores both teams came up with. Those those were a lot higher than what I expected. So that was well done by all of you. Yeah, well, you know what they say. Yeah. Right, Neil? A broken, broken clock's right twice a day. So, <laughs> Neil, you know what they say. Good, good job. Good job. Good work. <laughs> you know what they say, that the meaning of the universe. Good work. A real catch-22 there. So, James, uh, you said you had some shout-outs uh, before you uh, part us. Uh, any last words, shout-outs, things like that for us? Absolutely. I First of all, I want to thank Crystal Vega, Louis Duras, uh, Matt Coleman, Sarah Hines, Troy Osborne, Dave Nelson, Emily Barkley, Haley Strock, J.P. Adams, and Matt Kirk, all who play-tested this game at two different times. And they were instrumental in revising, revamping a lot of those questions. I appreciate those guys over at the crop and all the time and effort they spent to help make this go better for you guys. Uh, again, I wanted to say that the reason I got into hosting trivia was through Kansas Legal Services. And basically every state or every district has a legal services corporation. And what they do is provide services to people who need it the most, those who are most at risk, who are having problems with landlords or are victims of violence. And whenever it's a civil proceeding, you don't have a constitutional right to an attorney like you do in a criminal case. And many times legal services across the country are the ones that provide that help to the people most in need. So if you ever have an opportunity, reach out and help those organizations whenever you get a chance. They are absolutely on the front line of trying to protect the most poor and at risk. And also thanks to my wife, Tracy, my kids, Joel and Alex, who also play tested this game and who have been nice enough to let me slip away for several evenings so I can do all of this in practice. And thanks again to you guys for letting me do this and for all the work you do. It has helped during this pandemic to have familiar voices that you can turn to as everything else is kind of turned upside down. So thank you guys very much. Well, thank you. Uh, that message is uh, heard loud and clear, and we, we totally agree uh, with all those wonderful organizations. And thanks to all the members of the crop who helped out James with the play testing. We appreciate your support. We're going to try and do that a little bit more with uh, guest hosts. Feel free to reach out if you're hosting an upcoming game and get some uh, crop members to help play test it. Uh, but James, we had a wonderful time. We super appreciate the fact that you're a Patreon supporter, uh, and uh, it's certainly helpful, uh, especially during this difficult time. So on behalf of Matt, Jeff, Ken, uh, myself, James, and uh, all we want to wish all of you out there is a uh, good job, good work. And that was Triviality. <laughs>